This is the story of Robert Perry. Inveniem viam ad facium. That was supposedly Hannibal's response to his general's advice that crossing the Alps by elephant was impossible. It means simply, I shall find a way, or I shall make one. For Robert Perry, it was his life motto, the words inscribed on his tombstone. Way back in 1881, he joined the U.S. Navy Civil Engineers Corps, a job that sent him to Key West, Florida, on one of his first assignments to do the impossible, build a new Navy pier that other smarter, more experienced engineers said couldn't be done. Most people would have balked at the request, citing other engineers' experience or environmental conditions. For Perry, it was his chance to prove himself and launch a career. With a bit of ingenuity and some hard work, he pulled off the impossible and saved the U.S. Navy over $675,000. Quite a bit of money in 1881. After that success, the Navy sent him down to Nicaragua to serve as the chief assistant on a surveying expedition. It was at that moment he became obsessed with the idea of becoming the first man to reach the North Pole. But he realized that to be the first, he would have to be different, radically different. So in 1886, five years later, he convinced his superiors to let him take an extended leave of absence to journey into Greenland to prove America's superiority on the global stage. On his first trip across the tundra, he broke every rule in the book. Perry studied the ways of the ancient people at the time, when experts were convinced that the Inuits lacked any practical Arctic know-how. Despite having them lived there for generations, he learned to hunt for food while traveling, instead of ignoring the local animals. He understood the value of an animal's skin clothing, wearing deer skin parkas, bear skin pants, and seal skin boots. He and his team built igloos as they went, instead of carrying tents, to reduce the cargo weight they would have to transport. He formed an elite dog team to pull the men's sleds instead of having his own men pull the sleds like every other explorer before them. He walked in front of his team, charting the path forward instead of driving the team from behind. His radical plan led him to be the second man to cross the entirety of Greenland. But in the late summer of 1891, an accident almost ended his life as he ventured further north. An ice block wedged under the rudder, lurching the ship he was on to one side, pinning down Perry and snapping both of his shin bones in his right leg. The doctor said to pack up his seal-skin boots. His exploring days were over. They turned the ship around and headed home to let him find time to heal. It was a few months later that he decided to compete against both his own men and Eskimos in a snowshoe race. He won. See. Robert Perry would not go down without a fight. A year later, in 1892, he picked up where he left off, kicking off a 1,300-mile round-trip expedition just 10 months after he broke both of his legs. Perry was back and fighting at full strength, mentally and physically. After six more years of exploring and preparing and planning, he gathered a team to help him claim the North Pole for the United States. This time, he would attack the North Pole by an entirely different means. He would sail as far north as he could, trek to an abandoned outpost in northern Canada called Fort Conger, and then make their final push for the North Pole across the ice covering the Arctic Sea. His right-hand man, Matthew Henson, knew it was a risky plan. But Perry, racing against a Norwegian competitor with the same plan, pressed on regardless. 
he and the team finally stumbled into the dilapidated wooden shack that everyone else called Fort Conger. They were so close they could practically taste victory. Sitting next to the warmth of the fire, as he described it, a suspicious wooden feeling crept into his right foot. So he pulled off his boots. Eight toes had developed frostbite. His legs were dead white from the knees down. His toes needed to be amputated, and soon. As he lay in a cot just a few hundred miles away from the North Pole with his dream, and now his toes gone, he scratched a phrase into the wooden wall, Invinium viam ad facium. It was his lifeline to the North Pole, that one thing he could cling to. It was the fire that burned in his soul and kept him alive in the frigid Arctic. After a month stuck at Fort Conger, the weather finally cleared and Henson led the team back, back south, back to the ship with Perry strapped to a sled, moving away from the Arctic Circle. He had crippled himself. Again, the doctors told him his adventure days were over, but he wasn't accepting that. In May of the following year, he went further north than anyone else ever had, and he did it on his frost-bitten, toeless feet. He had to turn back, though. It was another failure. Five years later, he made his seventh trip to the Arctic Circle with state-of-the-art transportation, an all-new strategy, and an all-new crew. The Roosevelt, a ship designed by Perry for this journey, could cut through ice with a 30-inch steel hull, the first in the world to do it. He sailed the Roosevelt up to Ellesmere Island, pulling him 300 miles closer to glory than any of his other previous trips. He only had 450 miles to go. He planned to cover those miles over the Arctic frozen ice with a radically new system. Six teams with right-hand men, five sleds, and more than 15 dogs per team. Each team would leapfrog each other and build igloos and set up supply outposts. The plan involved each team dropping out one by one to make way for the sixth team, Perry's team, to dash to the North Pole. It was, by all accounts, a genius plan. But nothing went right. Temperatures regularly stayed in the negative 50 degree Fahrenheit range. 50 degrees below zero. Sheets of frozen Arctic water smashed together, creating 50 foot high walls of sheer ice. Perry's men had to hoist their massive 500 pound sleds up. But when the blocks of ice didn't smash together, currents ripped them apart, stranding Perry from the rest of his team. They were forced to turn back without supplies, without their support crew. They only made it back to the ship by eating their sled dogs, forcing the men to haul the sleds themselves. It was disastrous, and Perry was done. He quit. He returned home to his family. The dream was over. For almost a decade, he would live his life as a professor, his adventures behind him, until he heard of others planning to make it to the North Pole and steal his dream. He decided that he wasn't going to let anyone else take what was his. So in August of 1908, at a young age of 52, Perry made what he called his last and supreme effort. He determined he would get there or die trying. So he loaded up the Roosevelt once more and set sail for Ellesmere Island. The first day after they arrived, as they set out on the frozen Arctic blocks, the sled broke down for Perry's right-hand man, Matthew Hansen. After spending a day fixing Henson's sled, they noticed a dark cloud on the horizon. It wasn't on the horizon. It was a huge gap in the ice ahead. 
Overnight, though, the gap closed enough for Perry and his crew to navigate from massive ice block to ice block to get across the Arctic water before they could continue. Just days later, another gap opened up in the ice. This time, it was a quarter mile wide and extended as far as they could see. There was no crossing this one. So they waited and waited and waited. For days, they encamped by the break, able to see the other side, but unable to get to their goal. After days of waiting, the icebox closed enough for them to build a temporary bridge and cross. In April 1st, 1909, Perry took Henson and four of his best Inuit drivers and 40 of his fittest dogs in a mad last-ditch sprint to the elusive North Pole. Five days later, and a quarter century after his very, very first attempt, Robert Perry set foot on the North Pole. After his death in 1920, the U.S. Congress posthumously awarded him the official congressional thanks, an honor once only reserved for war heroes. Teddy Roosevelt Jr., the son of President Theodore Roosevelt, in whose honor Perry named his famous ship, said of the great explorer, to me, Robert Perry's life, Admiral Perry's life, is epitomized in the splendid lines of Tennyson's Ulysses, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. He was a man wholly consumed by a mission. His purpose was unwavering. He got knocked down. He lost friends in pursuit of his goal. He was critically wounded and suffered staggering hardship. And yet he continued, unwilling to sacrifice his goal. That could be you today. You've been knocked down. You've been hurt. You've lost things that matter deeply to you. Friends, health, money, and respect. Invinium, viem, at facium. That's your mission. Find a way or make one.